Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. To imagine this. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Trent. I'm Brashina. And today we are joined by a very good friend of mine, and I'm so excited to introduce her, Allie Veritek. Hey, everybody. I'm Allie. Yay. Hey, Allie. We're so glad you're here. Why yes. don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am an actor dramaturg um, who kind of fell into it from a lovely, lovely mentor of mine, but I think very associatively, and I love new plays and reading plays, so that's a little bit. Yeah, and we are, we're so glad you're here. Uh, Mackenzie said that um, you're a good friend of hers, and they y'all both graduated together from Baylor Theater just this last year, right? So, yeah, yeah that's exciting. Uh, Allie yes. is um, a young actor, dramaturg, professional. So you mentioned you kind of fell yeah. into dramaturgy a little bit. Tell us what what that means. How does one fall into dramaturgy? Well, I think we all or many of us do things that are very dramaturgical without even knowing knowing the name of it. Um, I've always been interdisciplinary, so I like lots of different topics and the intersections of those things. And I also think very associatively. And one of my professors at Baylor, Dr. Deanna Totenbeard, love her to death, noticed that in me because she is also a dramaturg and kind of nudged me and said, hey, you would probably like the literary side of theater because it's your right brain and your left brain holding hands. And so I fell into it in that way. She kind of nudged me into it, I guess. But That's so cool. So what was your first dramaturgical experience? Like what, what was the play that got you really excited about dramaturgy? Oh, man. Well, the first, the first, Thing I actually did was I did an intensive with um, LMDA in the Kennedy Center um, and so I did a lot of listening then but the first play I got to dramaturg was Airness by Chelsea Marcantel and it was a way of making a fun play about air guitar even more fun for the people coming um, mm -hmm. it can be a bit daunting to be like okay this is a play about air guitar why is someone writing about air guitar and just kind of inviting the audience into having fun and enjoying that and enjoying the weirdness and the quirks um, was a really like light and celebratory way in. I love that. And I, I think that dramaturgy is <clears throat> often associated with more serious work. Mm -hmm. um, and it's particularly important in those spaces because we have to be respectful of people groups and experiences and stories. But I love that you also got to work on a project that was just fun. And I think that 
dramaturgy is important in those spaces as well uh, for a couple of reasons. I, a play like Airness, yes, it's a, a silly story about air guitar, but there's also some really beautiful themes in there about finding your place, finding your community. Um, and so dramaturgically speaking, it's really helpful to have a voice in the room that points us back to some of those thematic elements that are easy to miss in the midst of the party that's happening on stage but then I love what you said about leaning into the quirks and the fun um, because finding ways for audiences to do that is one of the roles that a dramaturg plays whether that's comedic or dramatic finding ways for the audience to enter into that story is really I think at the heart of what a dramaturg does and that's needed in a comedy as much as it is in a drama yeah Absolutely. And that's why it's fun doing dramaturgy because for every sensibility of people, there is a type of play that suits their sensibility that they can help other people connect to. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to ask you about one other thing that you said. You said that you've always been an associative thinker. Explain that a little bit more in the context of dramaturgy. How do those things link for you? What about associative thinking felt like a natural fit into this field? Oh, yeah. Well, I feel dramaturgy is a craft that kind of requires you to seek connections, find them, and link them together. Um, I think that's what makes dramaturgy additive to the theater process is that it is just, it's an ambiguous term. It's kind of mysterious. Y'all talked about that on your first (laughs) dramaturgy, but um, because it's additive, what it really adds is these multiple connections to different things. Um, mm. And the tasks that accomplish that can vary. Um, sorry. I'm yeah, no, I, I think that I love that. I mm-hmm. think the idea of taking different components and ensuring that they work cooperatively, right? You're making sure that all the different elements are associated together in order to communicate what it's then supposed to communicate, right? Um, And Ali mentioned that we've done a prior episode about dramaturgy. So if you're like, wait, what is this big word? I need more (laughs) context. Go back and listen to our episode three about Mm -hmm. what is dramaturgy with Susie Elnagar. Um, And you will learn all about what this crazy wild world of dramaturgy is. But... If you don't yet have time to listen, because I know for certain that you will go back and listen if you haven't already, because it's worth your time. But if you don't have time at this moment, (laughs) Allie, what would you provide us with a working definition? What is your shorthand when you explain what this thing is that you do sometimes? I typically say that dramaturgy is any parts of theater where the left side and right side of our brain are holding hands. I stole that from Deanna Totenbeard. But um, dramaturgy seeks to find open doors for people to interact with whatever story they're presented in, in whatever form. Um, So whether that's coming from an educational standpoint, whether that's coming from a research standpoint, or whether that's coming from just linking to places in your community that relate to the themes or the persons presented in a play, all of that is dramaturgy. Um, but two words that I feel like are quick and pithy about it is that it is interdisciplinary and that it's actionable. Mm. I like that definition because dramaturgy is a like very hard thing to pin down, like we've talked about. But I really like that definition. That's sort of like 
a good way of being all encompassing because yeah. it really has so many facets. Yeah. And I like actionable mm-hmm. particularly, I think. Um, and I think it's going to be related to what we're going wanting to talk about specifically today. Now that you know Allie and you know the rest of us, what we want to talk about today is a particular type of dramaturgy that we think is often overlooked and yet of particular significance, and that's experiential dramaturgy. And it's it's related to several of the conversations that we've had. Um, you've heard us talk about the importance of people telling their own stories, people using their unique voices to mm-hmm. tell stories, um, and that's related to what we're going to be talking about today. Um, experiential dramaturgy, as it sounds like, is not so much stemming from research. It's not so much stemming from education. Those things are important, but there's also something deeply important about people's lived experiences Mm -hmm. and being able to bring those to the table within the context of a production. Um, So, Brashina, why don't you take it for a second? As someone who spends a lot of time working with issues of diversity and inclusion, which is pretty closely related to this particular issue. So how would you further this conversation that we're starting about experiential dramaturgy and why it's needed in a production and what you would look for in having someone on the creative team that fits that bill, et cetera, et cetera? Ooh, experiential dramaturgy is so so important and I have to say that like this is a recent term that I learned experiential dramaturgy um, because a lot of so I'm also an actor in addition to um, doing diversity and inclusion work within uh, theater and as an actor one of the things that they teach you a lot is like how to draw on your own experience and so for a lot of um, my fellow actors we tend to do experience experiential dramaturgy just like intuitively like that's just kind of how we get into a role sometimes because we're taught to draw on our experience um the way that that comes to the forefront in um in diversity and inclusion and equity work um is in a variety of ways. Um, One of the ways that I think about it is for playwrights who are wanting to write outside their own experience. It would be a great thing for you to have somebody who's actually had the experience that you want to talk about and who can put it into words that you'll understand um, and in term and can also read your work and go like, yes, this is very, this is very close to my experience or no, this is not very close to my experience. And they can honestly help you Um, at that point become like they kind of become a Mm -hmm. co-writer on the project. It's very helpful in that process. Um, When it comes to the acting part of the process, um, speaking to people like that's one of the things you'll hear a lot of actors talk about is they went and they went, uh, if they're doing something that is outside of their scope, that they will interview somebody who has gone through that. So like we had a lot of, when we were having that big onslaught in the 2000s of like war movies, um, there were a lot of actors who said that they went and talked to veterans about what their experience was like, what it was actually like to be there, that sort of thing. Um, And that's helpful in your portrayal of these things because there's a lot of things that come out of the nuance of talking with somebody who's been through these experiences that doesn't come out in the people who are doing research and writing about these experiences without the personal um, component. So 
you know, I've seen it that way. Um, and then also like on the directing spectrum of, you know, you're directing a play with an experience that's happening outside of yourself. Um, it's good to have somebody in the room who can help you to understand what about this experience is not feeling real. Cause sometimes when you look at, as a director, when you look at a show, um, you are hitting all the beats. Everybody's hitting all of the blocking. Um, they're hitting the emotional rise and fall, and it still just doesn't feel like it's done. Like there's something missing sometimes as a director. And so having somebody who has had the experience you're working on um, to be in there and be like, oh, well, that's that's because, um, you know, this is this is a part of that experience or, you know, this doesn't feel very real to the experience. It kind of feels like somebody's, you know, like live, like living on the outside of the experience or, you know, something like that. Like it's, um, and we see this a lot more now in diversity and inclusion. Um, we talk about putting on plays by, um, predominantly white companies. Um, I'm starting to see a trend, which hopefully, continues um starting during the pandemic it was where we started getting a lot of a lot more people asking about how do we bring people into the space with the experience that we're trying to portray on stage and how do we um make sure that they feel welcome in the space and how do we make sure that we're telling their story with the utmost truth sort of thing um and so it it's led to some really interesting conversations in diversity and inclusion and equity. We're still a little far off from where we like need to be in that, but it's getting, I would say it's getting better as of right now. We'll come to talk to me in six months and we'll see. But um, as of right now, I think that experiential dramaturgy is helping so much uh, to get People of, story, people of color stories told, LGBTQ stories told, um, women's stories told, forgotten stories of history told. I think that these are really, really helping. Um, one of the big ways that I have seen experiential dramaturgy um, in the mainstream in the past few years, I guess five years now, was um, Hidden Figures, mm. a story about uh, the women of color uh, the black women behind the first uh, manned space flight. Um, that was such a cool, such a cool time in life because um, m the uh, Catherine, oh my goodness, I cannot remember her name right now, but the lead uh, character of the film um, was being played by Taraji P. Henson and she was still alive mm -hmm. at the time that they were filming. So she like came to set and Taraji P. Henson got to meet her and they got to talk to her about her experience as they were making it on film. And to me, that is so cool. It probably made it even more authentic in a way that we'll never fully understand. But I would, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall and see what discoveries they made while having her in the room. Cause that's just so cool. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot there that I would love for us to talk about. I think one of the things is that as we've talked about before, dramaturgy is work that everyone in the process does. Um, it's great to have a dramaturg, for the production, but whether or not you do, actors are doing dramaturgy, directors, designers, we're all doing dramaturgy through the process because we have to, as Ali pointed out, find these open doors 
through which audiences can walk through and interact with the work that we're doing. Otherwise, what's the point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but an experiential dramaturg, if that were a role in the production, is often going to be someone who brings some of that lived experience into the room. It might be someone who is connecting actors with people so that actors aren't trying to like find those people to interview themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes a dramaturg is connecting those dots between where people are in the production and the experiences that exist that they need to be able to draw from mm-hmm. if it's not something the dramaturg has experience in themselves right which i think is really cool i mean how much more authentic do you does a production get to be if there's someone who's making sure that actors and directors are connecting with who they need to connect with to ensure that that's a priority, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that I love that you brought that up because experiential dramaturgy is then more than the person's lived experience. It's their ability to recognize the need for other people's lived experience to enter into the room, which Mm -hmm. I think is really beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Um, One of the things you brought up as an actor is something that all of us here are actors. And I would love for us, I think we can't talk about actors bringing their experiences into the room without talking about the elephant in the room related to bringing experiences into the room, which is method acting. Right. I I think we have to address it because it's really easy to see those as one and the same thing. Mm -hmm. Truly. Right. Method acting is about like living inside of your character And often drawing upon experiences in order to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to draw a distinction between those two things. So, Mm -hmm. um, Mackenzie, I'd love to use this as an opportunity to pull you into the conversation. Um, What is the distinction between these two things? Is there a distinction? Why am I bringing this up? Like, let's get into it just a little bit here. I mean, yeah, there's absolutely a distinction. Good, I'm glad you think so. (laughs) Yes, there is a distinction. You know what? I have a really unhealthy relationship with method acting. I know that it's bad and I don't intend to do it. But like, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes I just fall into that hole and I cannot get myself back out. Um, But I think the first step is recognizing that. Um, And I'll own it. Um, Sending your body into fight or flight for a role is not a healthy thing to do. Um... Honestly, okay, and so can I bring up can I bring up an example that I think a lot of people will recognize? Absolutely. Um, Austin Butler and Elvis, can we all just take a moment to agree that what he did is beyond unhealthy? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But for people who don't know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. fill us in a little bit. What mm-hmm. did he do and why are we in agreement that it was unhealthy? Yeah, so he put himself so fully into this role um, that after the show, after the movie wrapped, um, he was practically like incapable of dropping the accent, dropping the mannerisms Mm -hmm. and honestly, the emotional like personas that he had to put on for the role and the performance. And so Mm -hmm. he found it very difficult to separate himself from the role because he made that role his entire life for X amount of time that that movie was in the process of being filmed. Um, and I think he, didn't he like have physiological withdrawals from the movie? Yeah, I think wrapped? he did. I think I heard that, yeah. yeah. It was it was that very unhealthy. Not healthy. It wasn't, it wasn't. I will, 
I will say this is my little two cents on method acting. And I've I've had this conversation with so many of my acting and non-acting friends about like method and what that means. Um, and one of the things that we always come back to, and this was from this is a quote from my friend Ben, who I was talking with, um, where we were talking about it and they were like, um, you know, you never see method acting for anything nice or good. You always see people employ method acting when it's like, oh yeah, I had to go live in the wilderness for eight days and survive on my own. Or I had to like put my body through this horrible experience. Or I had to be mean to everybody on set because I just couldn't be out of the world of being awful. And you never see anybody who's like, oh, well, I'm playing a philanthropist, so I went out and gave 100 people free sandwiches because I wanted to see what that was, what that felt like. Like, nobody ever does that. It's always about putting your body through these horrible things. And that is not in any way healthy. I think that there is a healthy way to do method. I was encouraged um, by hearing Michael B. Jordan when he went through um, Black Panther he said that he is a method actor and that he got pretty deep in the role. And so afterward, he decided that it would be healthy for him to go to therapy and to come out of that role like with professional help. I thought that that was progress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish that he had gone through the process with a therapist so that way he didn't have to like pull himself out of it sort of thing. But like. I think that there is a healthy way to do it and there's a very unhealthy way and we like very much glamorize the unhealthy way. Yeah. And uh, I think what I'll say in terms of the distinction, and then Allie, you can weigh in too. Um, When I am directing and particularly directing difficult content um, and Brishina and I are actually, as you heard on last week's episode, two weeks ago episode, Mm -hmm. um, we're directing sweat right now, which has a lot of really hard content related to race and class It's really important to make sure that actors feel a distinction between themselves and their character. Yes. Right. So, what Mackenzie is describing about Austin Butler, there was no distinction for him anymore, which is Mm -hmm. why he struggled so much after the movie. He had become Elvis Presley and all of the baggage that came along with it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, when you're portraying a character, I want you to understand this character. I want you to be able to go inside this character's head and feel what they're feeling in the moment that you're portraying it. But then I also need you to be able to separate it from yourself when rehearsal is over. Mm -hmm. And that's really the difference to me between experiential dramaturgy and method is that method is you are that character. There's not a distinction because in order to give the performance you want to give, you're becoming that person. Mm -hmm. Experiential dramaturgy is saying, well, I want to understand this person and their experience so that I can portray it honestly and authentically. But I'm also not this person. It's it's not the same thing. And so I think for me, that's the big difference. And I think it's why method is dangerous, whereas experiential dramaturgy is necessary. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a fine line, but it's a really important line. It is. Allie, did you have thoughts I, about or oh, I'm sorry. no, Mackenzie, you go first you. and then Allie. Um, so I just experienced firsthand some intense method acting this weekend. I just closed a production of Twelfth Night, um, in which there's a character named Avalio, if you're familiar with it, who gets 
psychologically tortured, gaslit. It's kind of intense. Um, it's very intense. It's not kind of intense. It's very intense. And I, in this production, there was like this very old fashioned interrogation chair. It was kind of intense to look at that was used that had built in restraints. And I watched the kid play Malvolio every intermission for the entirety of intermission and the scenes leading up to this scene. I watched him lock himself in this chair and sit there blindfolded with fake blood running down his face for a good half hour every night to get into this scene. Um, oh my yeah. God. Oh my God. Yeah. It was kind of a lot. Um, so method acting, unhealthy. Don't freak your castmates out and don't psychologically torture yourself. Um, by method yeah. acting, not healthy. Yeah, yeah. I think the other, this is the last thing I'll say about method acting, is that also it has no longevity. Mm. Because if you if you keep putting yourself through these very hard psychological and physical acts just to get into one character, it would put such a toll I would think it would put such a toll on you that you dread going into the next character first off and then also that like you cannot sustain that like as a person like you can't sustain being that psychologically and physically tortured as a person your body has a breaking point and if you continue to do that you're just going to keep shortening your life and career like well, in the worst sort of also, way Also, in terms of longevity part of it is that if you're learning about particular people then there's carryover right mm -hmm. you're learning about commonalities of experience mm -hmm. whereas method it delves solely into the uniqueness of that person right so mm -hmm. you don't get to draw from these method experiences to play more characters in the same way that you do like learning about these experiences experiences that people have had will then contribute to future roles yeah. right it's it's a different take on acting entirely and part of that longevity has to do with what you then get to carry into the future yeah that's true ali as a dramaturg what is your thought here right like you as a dramaturg, would absolutely say, let's experientially dramaturg how we can. But how do you ensure that that line doesn't get crossed into actors or even creatives, frankly? It's not a it's not a problem that's unique to actors necessarily. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that within a production that line doesn't get crossed and it's both authentic and healthy? Yeah, um, I think circling back to the idea that the sum of your life experience is the most important thing you bring to a rehearsal room um, is an important thought. And we have to honor the health of that. And we have to honor mm. the health of all of mm -hmm. our lived experiences. Um, that's part of why having someone who's lived, lived experience pertains to a story is important to have in the room. It's, it's all tied together, I think. And you're creating a creative lived experience every time you do theater because it is a live storytelling form between the actors yourself and the artist creating the event and the audience um and so keep making sure that that space is like honored and is healthy 
is important. And I think that's the distinction from method acting. It's very focused on the self and also may not be honoring the lived experience of yourself and what you bring to a role. Mm. It's kind of erasing the self. But the whole thing about experiential dramaturgy is it's a conversation with ourselves, the selves of other people and the selves of the artist creating the event. Um, We've got to appreciate that diversity of thought and of experience there. I love that. That's really good. I love that a lot. Thank you. Yeah. So no one should come away from this thinking that they should do method acting. Yeah, that was that was really that was summative. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me ask you this to switch gears slightly, Allie. Um, we've talked about this in relationship to who should write what stories, right? Mm-hmm. And Brashina mentioned it earlier in this episode that people who are writing outside of their lived experience, first of all, should probably ask why. Right. And there are answers to that question, which are valid and good. Mm -hmm. Right. So I want to say that. But there are also plenty of answers to that question that are not valid and good. And maybe you should not. Right. Yes. So I think you. But then if it's a good and valid answer, you still need the lived experience of someone else to help you through that process in a way that is true to the characters you're writing. Mm -hmm. But beyond playwriting on a production team, there are questions of who should direct what or who should dramaturg what, right? And those waters are muddy. We're not saying there's like all clear answers to these questions, but they are questions that I think it's important to ask. So what, where would you weigh in on those muddy watered questions, Allie? I have experienced this myself, and so I have developed my own personal philosophy of it. Uh, because dramaturgy is so additive, um, if there's a story where I feel like it's important that someone's lived experience is that or is connected to a story, I'm always going to abdicate or try to help find somebody else rather than step into those shoes. Um, one of my favorite plays of all time is Dontrell Who Kissed the Sea by mm-hmm. Nathan Allen Davis. And that is one my lived experience is not additive to. Um, So I feel like in that situation, it would either be I would help find another dramaturg whose lived experience contributes, or maybe there isn't a dramaturg, but there's someone whose lived experience is additive. Then you collaborate and you're both working together and the dramaturg is is helping that person communicate with with the team, perhaps in like a a collaborator situation. But uh, it's important to have those voices, I think. and something I've learned in my dramaturgy and part of what pivoted me to dramaturgy instead of acting all of the time is that there were stories I felt were so important and wanted to be a part of but you know you can't always be a part of a story as an actor um but that doesn't mean those stories aren't so important to tell I I personally love that idea because that's kind of how I think about projects as well as like what what can I add to this? And if I find that there's nothing I can personally add, I'm always like, okay, well, how do I how do I get somebody else in here who can add to the story because it deserves it? Um, and I I wish more people had that had that mentality when it comes to different things um, because I mean, some people come into things with the purest of intentions, but they forget that like they don't add anything to the process, and so even if you come in with the purest of intentions, if you're not adding to the process, then you're actually kind of hindering the process Mm. in a lot of ways. Um, So I love that. That's a great definition. Um, 
Mackenzie, you have a slightly different dramaturgical lens as someone who's currently studying Shakespeare. How would you weigh in on this particular question? Um, like the defin like a definition. Not so much a definition, mm-hmm. but in terms of these muddy waters of when to work on a on a project, when not to work on a project. Where do you stand on these issues of, is it just a question of if you have something to add? But then someone could argue that there's always something that everyone can add, right? Because we're all different people. So, I mean, and like, I'm not arguing with y'all. I think you're yeah. right, right? <laughs> yeah. to, to be fair, I think Ali and Brashina mm-hmm. are exactly correct in what they're saying. <laughs> but is there something else to add to what they're saying to like round that definition out that you would point to? Yeah, um... Well, like, for example, am I getting my master's in Shakespeare? Yes, absolutely. Does that mean I should be able to dramaturg any Shakespeare show? No, I would never. I would never dramaturg Othello, for example. I don't mm. have much to add that needs to be added to that, um, for example. But I, I don't know. Okay, so a uh, slight tangent. But I got a comment on one of my TikToks the other day that was like, do you think that non-women can write feminist criticism on Shakespeare and I I okay I have mixed feelings on this I thought I did at first I don't think I have mixed feelings on it I don't I I really I I think that it I think that it applies to like if it's not your personal experience don't write a play about it if it's not your personal experience don't have criticism on it you can read it and you can consume it and you can advocate for it and you can share it but I don't think that it's your place to be writing about that Mm. so uh, that was more about criticism than it was about dramaturgy but like well I mean academia of theater yeah I was gonna say it has merit within this conversation I mean it's it's very interesting because I I think a lot about you know how do I feel Um, as a black woman being directed by a white man in a show that's about black women. Like if we were doing intimate apparel, um, how would I feel if I was being directed by a white man in that space? And I have to say it kind of, it kind of depends on the white man where he's coming from. Like if, if he is somebody who facilitates a good relationship between me and other black women who have, lived the experience of intimate apparel then like that's good if he brings in designers who also understand that experience and can make me feel comfortable as an actor in the costume in the makeup in the set like then i think that that's a good connection there to have i mean i and if he's working with a dramaturg who is a black woman in that show then like i would probably be more okay with that Whereas if it was a white man and an all white team of designers or, you know, a a white woman and an all white team of designers, I would feel way less comfortable about being in that space um, than if it was somebody who was trying to really surround themselves with people who could actually add to the story. So I think some of it is subjective. There are just... But I also think that we have to get comfortable with there's just some things that we cannot do. Mm-hmm. I might it's add hard. I might add a caveat um, that kind of is related to what y'all are saying. I think that the attitude 
or the spirit with which people approach projects is also deeply important. And I think that's part of what you're pointing to. If a white man is directing Mm -hmm. intimate apparel and he approaches it with humility, recognizing this is not his experience and surrounds himself with people whose experience it is and listens to the actors on stage whose experience it is, that's a very different experience than someone who's like, I am the director, here's your notes. Uh, Right? And someone who is able to say... This is not what I add to this. So what what do you then add? Right. Mm-hmm. I had an experience this last fall with the play that I wrote, which we've had episodes on here about. The woman who directed it is wonderful, but she's not queer. Mm-hmm. Susie, who has been on this podcast and who dramaturged it, is not queer. Mm-hmm. Both of the and neither of them are men either, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a show about four gay men. Mm-hmm. And just so that experience, however, was still really positive because Tradessa, who directed it so beautifully, didn't pretend to have the answers. She was like, I understand marriage. I understand relationships. I have something to add in terms of making this feel real and lived in. But three out of the four actors were gay men. So she was like, it's up to y'all to like make that make sense. And let's mm-hmm. talk about it and feel it through and make sure we're all on the same page in terms of making certain decisions that I might not think to make, etc. Right. And so I think that the collaboration that takes space in a room is also deeply important. And again, mm-hmm. like Brishina is saying, there were still several gay men whose experience this was, right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't people trying to tell a story that wasn't their own. It was a director who recognized there were people in the room whose story this was and listened well and deeply to them, right? Mm-hmm. So I think having people in the room is important. Making sure they fill particular roles is important, but perhaps less so than making sure they're there and this collaboration that takes place between different parties. I agree with that. I'd say to to an extent. Because like to me, I'm very, when it comes to these things, I like to have a concrete sort of definition. Like I like to be able to ask the question, what do you add? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes if you get into feelings, you get a director who's just like, well, I just, I was, this just spoke to me. Or you have an actor or anyone in the process who's just like, well, this thing just spoke to me and I, I just thought that I should be able to do it. And that is not a good answer. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a good answer um, to insert yourself into a space in which is not for you. Um, Plays like Intimate Apparel are not for white people. And so if you are trying to come into that space, then like you have to have something that you add. Um, And that can't be a like, I just, I just really wanted to direct this play about women because it's not just about women. It's about black women. And there is no distinction between what is black and what is woman when you are a black woman. So like you have to be able to recognize that in this space. And if you just have a feeling like, Oh, I just recognize, I just resonated with the fierceness of these women, then you are completely discounting part of their experience. And I, that doesn't help anybody. So like it has to, there has to be a, some of these things have to have a concrete answer. And for me, that's easier. I, I totally understand like making the 
space and making the feeling like part of it. But to me, I think that I think what you're, you're saying comes first. Yeah. Right. I think because I agree. I mm-hmm. think that that comes first, the concrete. And then I think the feeling part in terms of this feeling of collaboration, of humility mm-hmm. entering into a space is secondary. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's important, but not, I wouldn't even put it as equally important to what you're describing. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. I get very passionate about that because I've been you know, in some you situations. No, as you should. Well, and like even in the experience I was describing, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that the director was clear about what she added. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think your question still came first. Mm -hmm. And then she came in with a spirit of collaboration because she recognized here's what she adds. Now let's talk about what everyone else in the room has. Right. But I think that you're exactly right. I don't think that it can be ethereal. I think it has to be that this is the thing that these people have in the room. Yeah. Otherwise it's not your place. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe the other important thing about my experience is that she was invited mm-hmm. into the room. Right. Yeah. And I think that's maybe a huge distinction actually. It is, is. It wasn't, it wasn't her inviting queer people into the room. It was mm-hmm. queer people inviting her into the room. And yes. I think that maybe that's actually the most important part of that whole story. <laughs> yeah. We got there. Yeah. Um, but so for something like intimate apparel, yeah. I'm sorry, the white man doesn't get to invite the black woman into the room. It's the other way around. Yes. Yes. That's it. That's it. Yes. All right. We've solved it. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like that's the important part about dramaturgy is you can recognize that and help invite people into the room. Yeah. Well, I loved your image of the open door, Mm -hmm. Allie. That's like one of my favorite things you've said on this episode is finding those open doors and inviting people through them. Mm -hmm. And I think it starts with who's in your cast and on your creative team. But then to take the image all the way through, it's how do you get audience members through those open doors? Yeah. I love that. Maybe that's where we stop. (laughs) (laughs) sorry everyone sometimes we just awkwardly come to an abrupt end but i feel like we're not going to get smarter than that on this episode i truly feel like we've had a lot of interesting conversation but if there's one takeaway maybe let it be that when we're thinking about stories to tell it should be the people who the story is about Mm -hmm. that are making decisions about who's working on that project Mm mm-hmm Learn from Thanksgiving play and <laughs> have people in the room who can actually speak into the ins- the experience rather than speak about the experience. Yeah. And with that, Mackenzie, tell us where they can find more about what we do. Okay, you can find us on Instagram at Imagine This Theater Pod, theater with an R-E, or at Wild Imaginings Waco, wildimagininingswaco.com, or through our wonderful producers, Rogue Media Networks. Wait, Allie, tell us where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram at Allie Baratek. Um, it's spelled V-A-R-I-T-E-K, nice and check. Um, and the, my name is my website as well. And thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Imagine This. Imagine This.